these words will come up on the screen. Um, but if you want to follow in your own Bibles, now is the time to turn them on. John chapter 6 and verses 47 to 59. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. We go back to the Old Testament, the last book of the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy. Chapter 30 and from verse 11. And the section in the NIV is titled, The Offer of Life or Death. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us, so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may obey it. See, I set before today, for you today life and prosperity, or death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. May God bless his word.
morning. Um, today is Father's Day, and um, well, I am not George. He was meant to be preaching today, but there was a change of plans. So you've got um, you've got me to deal with today. But we just um, we're going to be dependent on the Holy Spirit in this um, few minutes to speak to us to reveal himself to us once again today. Um, the message is called The Greatest Gift. But before I go into it, I'd like us to, um, I don't know if you know this song, it's a really old song. I'll just ask um, Vanessa, please, to, uh, yeah. This song is called Look and Live. Is it familiar to anyone here? Look and Live, not familiar. Okay, I will sing it. The words are there, and if you can, just join me. But there is a message for us in the song. I'll start with the chorus. Look and live, my brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. It says, my brother live, but I'm going to leave it at my brother because today is Father's Day. It is look and live, my brothers and my sisters, look and live. And if you, I don't know how many of us are familiar with this story in scripture, which was when there was, um, because of the, well, the, the movement through the wilderness, going to the promised land, the children of Israel came to a point where, because of their grumbling, they were stricken, and there was a point where they had snakes that beat them, and many were dying. And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord said, just mold the shape, um, mold a, a, like um, a statue, if you like, of a serpent. And it was put up there, and they looked at it, and that was when they got healed. It wasn't meant to be for them to worship a serpent. Let's just make this clear. It was symbolic. They were actually looking back to the one, the Lord, what was going on with them was an affliction for what they had done. But there's something bigger that was just symbolic of the Lord healing us when we come to a place of repentance in our lives. Bigger than that is that now we have our Lord Jesus, the one to whom we look and we live. And so I would like, I will sing this song again. And I just want us to think about all these things in our lives. I'm starting sort of upside down now, not um, preaching and then praying. But I want us to begin with praying. Any dead areas in our lives, dead projects, dead circumstances, something that you've already consigned to the heap of things that would never get solved, dead situations, whatever it may be, dead relationships, 
just think about whatever in your life that you may have considered as over, but is still a problem. The Lord says, look and live. It can come back to life. So I will take this song. I'll start from the beginning, from the first verse. Have a message from the Lord. Hallelujah. That message unto you I'll give. Tis recorded in his word. Hallelujah. It is only that you look and let. Look and live, look and live, my brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you at this time and we look to you, we look to you to live. We have nothing, no argument other than the fact that you are our God and you love us and you are real. You live because you live, we live too. And so we look to you to live. We bring before you everything, every situation, every circumstance in our lives that we may have considered as dead. Those things that challenge us just by the way they are. We ask, Lord, that you help us to bring hope alive again and by faith in you to give those situations into your hands today. The Lord once again by faith, we call back to life those things that, Lord, you will help us to step out in the places where we lack, we have lacked courage and boldness to step out. That, Lord, you will help us to believe again. You help us to have faith again, to open our hearts to you again. That, Lord Almighty, as we do that today, we will have testimonies of the change you are bringing to all those situations because your word is truth. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. So to our message, the greatest gift, I'll just ask a question. If anyone is, would like to answer, anyone is, who wants to, you know, just raise your hands and answer. Can anyone tell me today, tell all of us, what they will consider the best gift they've ever received from anyone. Would anyone like to share? What would you consider the best gift anyone has ever given to you? Whether it was for an occasion or unexpected. Anyone? Oh, thank you. I've got Joshua at the back wants to share. That's wonderful. 
is the gift um, that God gave me, which is life. Life. Wonderful. That is fantastic. My message is preached already. Does anybody have, anybody else wants to share? No one else. Okay. You know, I'll share my story. So many years ago, um, this was in January of the year 2000. I had just um, completed my law school um, education. So I had done my, the law school. So when you've, when you've done the first degree in law, then before you can practice as a barrister and solicitor in my country, you do need to go to law school for a year. It was one very tough year, particularly for me, because in between graduation from university and going to law school, I had my first child, Rock. Um, I had had a miscarriage and then had Rock, and I went to law school with Rock as a baby. And so it was one really tough year. And um, I, did, I made sure I studied extra hard because I didn't want to go back there again. Half my year failed, half, and I'm not joking. And it was a time when, I don't know how they do it these days, but back then, on the day when law school ex results come out, it was just the one law school for the entire country. On the day when the results come out, it's published in all the national papers, everybody's names. Yes, it's out in the papers. So if, if your name is not there, it's fair for everyone to assume you failed. So everyone knows who did not make it at all. Um, some people's names made it as um, people who had a conditional pass, meaning they had to go back again to retake their exams. A few, a few papers, it was there. There was no consent for GDPR. All our names were out there. So many times your family and friends might even find out before you, which was the same case for me because I was home, George went out to buy a paper. My siblings were buying papers wherever they lived. And so everyone knew before I did, but I worked hard to pass. And when I passed and it was time, the call to bar is a big ceremony. Somebody gave me their wig. We have to wear to practice in court, a wig and gown and a bib. And somebody gave me his wig to, um, for my practice, which I, had, which I wore for my call to bar ceremony. It was symbolic and important. People rarely give out their wigs. Those who do are usually like himself, people who have gone from the bar to the bench, meaning they've gone in to become judges or magistrates or whatever. So he was one of those. There were a few of them, and for some of them, even when they are elevated like that, they wouldn't give it out, they hang it in their offices, it's symbolic. But when people give you their wig, it's sort of, um, it's almost like prophesying over you in a sense. They are simply saying, you will do well. So it was a huge symbolism. He gave me his wig, and um, I bought my gown and other things. Now, I couldn't practice in court without my wig and gown. I wouldn't even be allowed to sit with the lawyers without my wig and gown. So this was a really precious gift, a really important gift. But you know what? When I left 
Nigeria. I hung my wig and gown carefully in the wardrobe because I thought I'll be back after my master's and I'll be back in court. When I went back, it had gathered some dust in the wardrobe um, when I visited home. And it was clear to me that I wasn't going to be using it in the near future. I packed it away. I have lived in this country for more than a decade and I have done various jobs up to where I'm working at the present time. I've never used my wig and gown since I came over here. What have I brought with me? It was the skills and the knowledge, the training I got. In my current place of work, there are many people like me who are barristers, some are solicitors, my country does both. And a few, a handful like me who also um, trained in countries like mine, and they also have their wig and gown hanging somewhere or in a box somewhere. What am I saying? We've brought into our profession not the garb of the profession. What we are doing at the moment is innate. It's the things we've learned, the things that are within. It's not the outward. So that wig and gown was a great gift, but not the greatest gift because I haven't taken it with me. I, it is currently of no use to me. It's just symbolic but hidden away. I'm talking about gifts. And I'll tell us another story. David visited his friends in London a few days ago. His friends from secondary school days, they meet up regularly um, and, you know, they meet up every holiday when they can. They were in boarding school together, so there was a real bonding. And this particular one, similar to David, is Nigerian by origin. And um, they came in together as year seven students and were, I think they were in the same room. And um, they were in the school for all their seven years of secondary school and now in different universities. But David came back and he said something. He had observed a shift in their conversations. He said to me, it was like a, a startling discovery for him. He said, some, some conversations that they had easily in other places and prior to this time had become somewhat dangerous territory right now. This, this particular boy and his family, because his older sister was in Rock's class in the same school, they um, come from a family in my country that have got strong political links. They've got wealth, they've got social standing, they've got everything. Very privileged. But they're out of touch with the common man's reality. They were discussing football. And, you know, things like about Saka who will, no longer, who will not play for Nigeria, even though it's also of Nigerian origin. Nigeria has great players, they play all over the world, but they don't work as a team. When they come together, they lose matches more and more. It used to be they used to win a lot in the past, in the distance, distant past. In more recent times, they don't do well in major matches. They get there and they fizzle out. And then David said something. The leadership is the problem. And then it dawned on him. He was talking to the daughter, sorry, the, the daughter, the niece, and the nephew of the chairman of the Football Association of Nigeria. 
Then he realized there are things I can no longer say. So these children have privilege and everything. But something isn't quite there. We can talk about the things going on in our country. Their families, sadly, are part of the problem. So they've got great gifts from their parents, but not the greatest gift. Because there's something that isn't quite there. One more story. I was at the women's conference last Saturday, Saturday before last, with Sharon, um, somewhere in Sheffield. It's the women's conference for, and all my stories are from Nigeria, because that's where I'm from. The women are, um, we belong to a fellowship called um, the Overseas Fellowship of Nigerian Christians. So it started years ago from Nigerian students who had come to this country to study, and um, were missing home and things like the jollof rice, and began to come together to meet, to worship. And it's grown and grown and grown. And the people who started it are grandparents at this time, and now their children and grandchildren are all part of the fellowship. So this was the women's group, and I coordinate the Kent group, um, the women's, uh, the, the women, the, 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 the Kent arm, the, the women's group in, the, in Kent. And so we had this conference, which we have every year, same time every year. And the, 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 it was about women influencing life. The speaker asked everyone a question. Can you write down three people who have influenced you positively the most in your life? And then you, you write it down, you talk to your neighbor, and then she said to everyone, okay, can I just ask a question? How many people here were influenced by a parent positively? All but probably about five of the women raised their hand. And do you know what? For majority of these women, it was not mom, it was dad. Surprise, surprise. I wouldn't have said that if you asked me before this conference, I would have said it would be mom for most of them. But I am one of those who would say dad. And that was the case for most of them. They mostly had positive role models in their fathers. So it is safe to say that for majority, just going by that dem the demographics, I could say after that conference that majority of the Christian women in Nigeria have had a positive dad in their lives. But somebody was sharing, when we were sharing at our table, one of the women at our table, I, there were about three of us talking together, and all three of us said to each other, my dad was positive influence on me. And one of them said, though, she said, I saw the way he treated my mom, the way he loved her and respected her. That made a positive influence on me. And then my friend who was seated next to me said, well, that's interesting because this is where my father failed. He was a wonderful dad, but a terrible husband. However, it did not change the fact for her that he was a great dad. So ultimately, we influence lives. The gifts the fathers have given to most of those women is that they had passed on values and things. A lot of those women, if anybody had a medical situation in that conference, they'll be inundated by the, with doctors. A lot of them are medical doctors. But do you know what? 
most of those families, most of those women will tell you that most of their children had said one thing. They were Christians, but they would not choose the medical profession. Why? Mom, you are great, but you are never home. They work for the NHS. Mom, you're great. Dad, you're great. A lot of them also were mar are married to doctors. So mom and dad are doctors, but the children rarely see them because what they have picked from their parents, why the children would say, I would go with what you, what you have taught me in terms of faith, but I will not go with your profession. The faith brought positive things. The profession brought negative things. Ultimately, we will influence lives whether we are conscious of it or not. There is a gift they've given their children, which is the great gift of the things they've got in life, the, the, the privileges they've got, great gift. But where are we going? Where, where, what, what is the gift that we need the most? Going to our scriptures, in John 6, um, verse six, um, 51 says, I am the living bread. And we have to remember Jesus is the one speaking here. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give you, which I, I will give for the life of the world. Now, Jesus was here teaching about eternal life. But if you see from the questions that he was being asked, even his disciples didn't understand where he was going. They were asking him questions like, are we going to eat your, your flesh? What, what, what does this mean? What are you talking about? If we remember last Sunday when George was preaching, he said something about how having done the miracle of, the, of feeding the 5,000, he was being chased everywhere by the people. They wanted to eat. And um, he said something about how Jesus said to them, I know why you're following me, why you're looking for me, because I, I, I brought you bread yesterday. It was clear they didn't really, they weren't really there for the other thing, the main reason why he was there. They were there for other reasons. And we may even, you know, we may look at that and say, and um, think that we are anything different. At that time, bread was how basic their needs were. It was, they were poor, they had gone through difficulties. Bread was important, food was important. For you and I, it's slightly other things. For you and I, it might be things like healing, someone who is ill needs healing. It might be some, it, might be, it might not even be for yourself. It might be for a family member. We might be chasing other things from God. But the Lord is saying, I am enough. Finding me is enough. A long a time ago when we were in Birmingham, there was a family with um, little children. And the communion was going on. And George was up there and saying, um, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And the little child whispered to his mom, why are they giving us the bunny of Christ? He didn't understand. It didn't make sense to him. We had to break it down. He was thinking about 
burning of Christ, not body of Christ. But even if you say to that child that it is the body of Christ, you pro probably confuse him even more. What do you mean, the body of Christ? Deuteronomy 11, where, um, 11, 14 says, um, so sorry for my reading. Yeah, it says, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. Now, the word bread is symbolic, which is why the Lord's body is called, the, the, the Lord talks about the bread and he's referring to his, himself at the same time. It's symbolic. It represents vital sustenance. If you don't eat at all, you will starve to death. But it's important to remember that what Jesus was trying to say here is, you believe in me. Believe, you have faith in me. That's just the first step. We know the scripture that says, even the demons believe and they tremble. So believing is one thing, but we need to be sustained. So we believe in him and believing in him, we get life, the life of God. But we do need to remain and continually partake of the life, which is in the word. In studying, in having a relationship with him. This is how we sustain that life. There is no gift greater. I did say that Joshua had preached my entire message. And, and Julie as well. There is no gift greater. We might have all the things. We might have the privileges. We might have all of the skills and knowledge that help us to live a life on this earth, pay our bills, and even more. But beyond that, the word of God says, all flesh will return. Where do we return to? The word of God sustains life. Jesus is the word of God. He is the bread of life. But we need the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that makes this word alive in us. The Bible also says that the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life and understanding. What does this mean? I mean, is it sufficient? Is it not sufficient to continually study God's word? I'll say right now it isn't. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to make the word come alive in our lives and keep us alive. Just think about a lot of things we hear today. The, a few days ago, um, when, when we're doing our, our prayers, there was a song which I, we used. And um, I said to the children, to David and Sharon who are with me, I said to them, you know what is sad about this song? It's a beautiful song. It has wonderful words. What is sad about this song is that the young man who wrote this song is no longer in the faith. It had the most beautiful words, but he's no longer in the faith. What happened? I wouldn't mention his name. I wouldn't mention his church. But what I do know is that even at this time, his minister is undergoing great difficulties for all sorts of reasons, all sorts of situations. 
And I'm just asking myself, how much has what he has seen influenced where he has gone with his faith? We hear all sorts of things. People talk about deconstructing their faith. The Bible says we should build ourselves in our holy, the most holy faith. That's what the word of God says. The word of God must be accompanied by the spirit of God to be life in us. Otherwise, it is mere letters. People go to theological school and they study this word and they confuse themselves and others. That's because it's about the letter. The word of God must be accompanied by the spirit of God. We may say a lot of words, but we need the spirit of God to make the word come alive in us so that we can also make it come alive to those who observe us. Whether we are fathers, mothers, aunties, uncles, not necessarily just because we are parents. You know, Andy gave me a Bible, myself and um, Sue, we met, we, we, we met them in Costa a few days ago in between my lunch break um, from work. So I, I, I and Sue met up at Costa and there was Andy. And um, he said to us, I'm going to give, and Steve, he said, I'm going to give you each a Bible as you go. Make sure you give it to somebody. So I said to myself, I have a very short time. I'll see what I, I'll do with this. So I stepped out. And there was this young man, seated. It was the market day, the Wednesday, and I gave him the Bible. And I said to him, I'd like you to read this starting from the book of John. But can I tell you something? This is real to me. And then I shared something with him about how my father, who wasn't a Christian, when he became a Christian, I could see the difference. I saw him pray for my brother who was very sick. My family members saw him pray, and my brother got healed. The doctors had said he needed a throat surgery, but he didn't get to have surgery after all. It was like that. The Lord healed him. So this word, I've seen what it does. I've seen its life. I've seen it alive. I like to share my stories, not just what is in the Bible. For one reason, you could say easily, this was then. What is happening now? So I share my now because that is how I can tell you that the word is alive and is real. We influence, like I said before, by how, without, without intending it. It's not just what we say. Your, your children, the children around, the people around you are more likely to be influenced by what you do more than what you say. In my home, everybody likes to drink something different. George drinks coffee, unless, except if it's coming from Starbucks, he would avoid Starbucks coffee at all counts. I drink Diet Coke. Sharon likes to drink juices, so long as they are sort of green in color, she drinks a variety of green juices. And the boys generally drink bright orange stuff, brightly colored things, so long as they are very sweet. So we all have all of that. But they always say to me, Mom, your Diet Coke is the worst kind of drink. It's unhealthy. And I'm the healthy eating preacher in the house. I always talk about healthy eating. And then they talk to me about Diet Coke. Now, because I see that they see what I do, and I'm trying to influence them to like vegetables, like Matt, 
um, I can't be saying one thing and manifestly doing the other. So I try to um, be careful about how much Diet Coke I drink so that they will eat the vegetables. Whether I'm succeeding, I'm not quite sure. But it's clear to me that what I do is the greater message than what I say. But they need to see this is just one aspect of life. How about how what we say about God, what is it doing? How is it manifesting in our lives? So the greatest gift is not in the toys and things that we can afford for our children. The greatest gift is not in the privileges we give them in life. The greatest gift is in how we bring God's word alive, not just in the reading of it. I know a family where they do a lot of scripture reading, but it's turning the children away from the Lord because the father reads that word but has no real relationship with the children. It comes alive when we open ourselves to the Lord to say, Father, speak to me through these words and help me to live these words. His word is spirit and life. And he has made it clear, he has brought it home to us. I'll just read as we pray. I'll read this and pray. Deuteronomy 30, our Old Testament reading. The verse 11 says, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Now going on to 13. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. And verse 16 talks about what has been said before us, life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now, we have a huge responsibility for those who know God. The responsibility is that what has been said before us, we set before those who see us, life and death. Are we by how we live our faith, setting before those who observe us, life or death? Are we laying before them prosperity or destruction? What are we laying before those who see us, who observe us? The word is alive, should be alive in us because we have received a living word. And so I'd like us to, at this time, just as we pray, just think about these words. And just think about whether what we have, what we share, the influence we bring in the places where we are, where we encounter people and people who encounter us, family members, colleagues at work, friends, people we meet on the street, wherever that may be, what do we bring? Do we bring life? Do we bring destruction? 
in living our lives, in sharing the word, do we draw them closer or do we push them away? Almighty God and our Lord, we bring ourselves before you today and we thank you because you've given us the greatest gift. But it's a gift which is meant to be shared. A gift which we proclaim by the very things that we do. Lord, when Moses was afraid of going forward to do what you sent him to do, you asked him what he had in his hand, and all he had was a staff. It didn't seem important, but you showed him that what we have in our hand, you can use it. Even a mere stick in a man's hand. Lord, we have a lot more than the stick, the rod that Moses had in his hand. We have your Holy Spirit alive in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to allow you to use us in our words, in our actions, not just in the way we say it, but in how we live out our faith, that many will be drawn to you. Lord, give us the boldness to also say where we have our confidence, because our confidence is in you. Holy Lord, we are on our own. We lack the right words on our own. We are not impressive on our own. We have nothing. We are not able on our own to impress anyone. But you empower us and you, you bring your word to life in the words that we say. Your life in us is what we have to share. And so we ask, Holy Lord, today and going forward, that you help us to proclaim your word by faith and that your Holy Spirit will accompany us when we do. To live our lives by faith, that you would also, through our lives, impact others with your life. Thank you, ancient of days, because you're more than able to do this. We trust you. We believe you. And Lord, I pray at this time also for anyone here who might be dealing with a health condition. Your word is life. It also is healing. The woman who had struggled with the issue of blood for so many years, just touched the hem of your garment and was healed. Because she had faith that it would happen. Lord, we ask that you stir up our faith today. As we began by calling up to life, back to life, those things that had been come as dead in our lives. We pray today, Lord, that you help us, that wherever faith has gone dead, that you stir it up again in Jesus' name. That, Lord, we will have your faith, we'll have faith in you, we'll trust you, we will believe you, and we'll see great things come to pass. That the dead things will come back to life. 
thank you, Lord, because you will resurrect dead relationships. Thank you, Lord, because you will bring back to life dead dreams and ambitions. Thank you, Lord Almighty, because as we trust you, we'll see your hand at work. And by your grace, O oh Lord, all around us, there'll be life that will draw many to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen.